0: Buddy, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10 minute mystery edition a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host Steve Yoder, and with us as always our storyteller and journalist Paula Schlice. Hi everybody. Tonight we're going to Upper Arlington, a large Columbus suburb west of the Ohio State University campus and a case that has haunted that community for more than 40 years. The unsolved murder, of Asenath Ducat. Eight-year-old Asenath was called Sini by her friends and family, and she lived on Malvern Road with her four siblings and her parents, Alexander and Martha. Sini was a brown-haired tomboy who loved gymnastics, climbing trees, and swinging a hammer or using a saw when she was allowed to help around the house. Inside, her job was to set the dinner table and help dry the dishes. Sini was also a third-grade student at Barrington Elementary. And June 3rd, 1980, was a bright and sunny Tuesday, and the kids were really excited for the school year to be winding down. Maybe too excited. That day, Sini's teacher held the entire class over for a 10-minute detention for being a little bit too rowdy. At 3.10 p.m., The students were released. Cini collected her school papers and her umbrella and headed for home. Cini lived nearly a mile away, and she always walked those 12 blocks the same way, west on Barrington Road to Waltham, then west on Waltham to Malvern. At 3.20, some of her classmates saw her walking on Waltham, right where she should have been. They were the last to see her alive. At 3.45 p.m., Martha Ducat was beginning to worry. Sini should have been home. She called her husband at work, but he wasn't there, so she left a message. Then she hopped into her car, traced the path to school, and stopped in to talk to the principal, who hadn't seen anything out of the ordinary. Martha returned home, called Sini's teacher and a handful of her classmates' parents, and then... At 4.30 p.m., she called the police. Upper Arlington immediately launched a search. Neighborhood kids jumped on their bikes and helped check out yards and fields. At 7.30 p.m. that evening, patrolman M. Worley took his search to the First Community Village, a sprawling retirement community where Waltham Road meets Route 33. It was just a couple of blocks from Sini's home. He followed a road, a public road today, a service road back then, to where a drainage ditch collected water. And there, near the opening of a culvert that ran beneath the service road, he found Sini lying on her back. She was dead. Alexander Ducat, a volunteer fireman, and Martha had the police scanner turned on all evening, and they heard the news. Alexander left the house and ran to the spot just a block from where he lived and saw his daughter. There were bruises on her neck from strangulation, but the coroner would determine Sini was actually killed by a blow from a 25-pound rock taken from the creek bed. At some point, her attacker had hit or kicked her, rupturing her spleen. She had also been raped, and while no semen was left behind, technicians would find a brown pubic hair and, internally, a small amount of urine that was not hers. Police interviewed everyone along the route, and while nobody had seen her, they did find a witness who saw a man with a bundle, a red bicycle against some bushes, and tracks of a 10-speed where Sini was killed. And that was all very interesting, because less than a month earlier, another girl had been attacked, and a man on a red 10-speed bike seemed to figure into that case. It happened May 7 at 3.30 p.m., while a couple of nine-year-old classmates from Tremont Elementary were walking home from a bus stop on Canterbury Lane. The two girls separated, and as the one girl cut through a yard to Riverside Drive and her own backyard, she was grabbed from behind. The man choked her into unconsciousness, and when she woke, she found her face had been battered, and she had been moved to another area. The zipper of her pants had been pulled down, and she was missing a shoe, but otherwise unharmed. Police later theorized her attacker had been chased off by a neighbor's dog. While the girl didn't see the face of her assailant, she and other witnesses were able to describe a man on a red bike who had rode past the girls twice as they were walking home. He was a late teen or early 20s, could have been up to six feet tall, thin, with straight black hair and a Mediterranean olive complexion, maybe Italian. He wore brown gloves, a light brown zippered jacket, and blue jeans. Police were pretty confident that the guy who attacked the Tremont student was the same guy who had killed Sini. The day after finding her body, police found Sini's school papers and umbrella and believed they had found where the crime began. It was a grassy area surrounded by tall pine trees. Police thought it likely she had been raped there, then dragged or carried the 150 yards to the creek bed where she was killed. Upper Arlington police were very thorough in their search. They eventually compiled an index of 6,000 names, people they had interviewed, and narrowed them down To 600 potential suspects, but two of them were of primary interest. The first was a 20 year old man and a 1979 graduate of Upper Arlington High School. He lived a mile and a half from where Sini was killed and had a history of violent run ins with police. The night of Sini's murder, he had gone to a bar with friends and was seen weeping and told friends he didn't want to go back home because they would be after him. Then he took his parents' car and fled to Cleveland, where he was involved in yet another incident in which he fought with police. The other thing about this guy, though, he had a red 10-speed bike. And when police included his photo In a lineup of 10 pictures that they showed to the Canterbury Lane victim and other witnesses in that incident from May, they all picked him out as looking closest to the man they had seen riding around the girls that day. But later, a social worker told a court the man had a history of mental illness and paranoia. And four years later, He committed suicide by jumping from his room at the downtown Columbus YMCA. There was no evidence connecting him to Sini's murder. The second suspect was a 1978 graduate of Upper Arlington High School who also lived a mile and a half from the crime scene. He came to the attention of police four months after Sini's death on September the 27th when he abducted a 13-year-old girl in Columbus. Witnesses saw him dragging her toward a wooded area and went to her aid, and one of them got the license plate off the car in which the suspect fled. When police arrested him, they impounded a red 10-speed bike from his home. The suspect refused to talk to Upper Arlington Police about the Sini Ducat case, and they were looking at him hard, but they just couldn't find the evidence to connect him to her murder. That suspect, by the way, was tried in January of 1981 for the attempted abduction of that Columbus girl. He was found guilty and sentenced to the maximum of three to ten years. He was paroled after two years. In the days and weeks after Sini's murder, Witnesses continued to emerge. Within 12 hours of her murder, Upper Arlington Police found and hypnotized one woman to verify the details of what she said she saw. She said she was driving east on Waltham Road about 3.25 p.m. that Tuesday afternoon when she saw a clean-cut man in a white t-shirt carrying a large object in both arms something that would have been consistent with an unconscious girl. He was headed toward the creek bed. She also saw a red bike leaning against bushes. She remembered seeing the brand named Schwinn on the bike. Six weeks later, another motorist came forward saying he thought he might have seen something. He was also interviewed under hypnosis. He was driving west on Waltham Road about 3.20 p.m. that day, and he described a man in dark glasses carrying a limp girl. There was a red bike on the ground, and he thought perhaps the girl had an accident and was being carried home. Now, weeks later, he believed he had seen that man before. The witness was a maintenance man for the Association for the Developmentally Disabled, and he thought the man who had been carrying the limp girl looked like someone he had seen sitting on the steps of the building where he worked on one day and on another day hanging out around a different assisted living facility. But he didn't know who the man was, and frankly, since his call came weeks after Sini's murder— Police could never be sure how much of his recollection was genuine and how much may have been unwittingly swayed by media reports. It was a scary, scary summer for Upper Arlington. Police said they had every reason to think the killer was a local person. Kids didn't walk around alone anymore. Parents signed up for carpools. Residents volunteered to hang orange signs with a big black dot that announced them as safety zones for children who needed sanctuary. The community lived in fear of their neighbors and anyone riding a red bike. On July the 2nd, when a woman called Columbus police to report a man on a red 10-speed bike had ridden near her with a strange look on his face, Twenty-five police officers responded and surrounded the area. They found the man, decided he was harmless, and that the woman had simply misinterpreted his smile. Now, by November, police were beginning to think they'd made a big mistake, and they made a rather shocking announcement. After all those weeks of believing the red bike had been involved, detectives released a new theory and said the red bike had been, well, maybe a red herring. Instead, police now believed Sinead had been abducted by a motorist who had driven her away from the scene, raped her somewhere else entirely, then drove her back a couple of hours later probably killing her in the creek bed as an afterthought. There were two primary reasons they believed this. First, Sini's mother had told them that on two different occasions, her daughter had mentioned being followed on her way home from school by a man in a car. Police also gave great credence to a mother who said that she was walking north on Waltham Road that day to meet her own child and never passed Siney. When they put this timeline together, and they believed it, it meant Siney would have had to have been abducted between Arlington Avenue and Cambridge Boulevard. Now, a theory in which Siney is quickly whisked away from the scene also made sense to police, because that area, the area where she had been attacked in broad daylight, was very busy that day. It was a densely populated neighborhood. There were cars, pedestrians, kids walking home from school, and it was even a primary election day, with voters coming and going from a polling place right there. Detectives could never wrap their minds around the idea of Sini being raped and murdered on those grounds without someone seeing it. But there were still parts of the story that didn't even fit this new theory. A motorist taking Sini away didn't explain why her papers and umbrella were found in that clearing, or explain the people who saw a man walking away from a red bike carrying a limp bundle toward the creek bed. 10 frustrating years passed, and in 1990, detectives resent their evidence to the FBI's DNA testing lab in Washington D.C. After all, they had that single pubic hair and that urine sample the coroner collected and a plaster cast of footprints found in the muddy ditch. But 1990 was still very early in the days of DNA testing, and nothing was definitive. In the years since then, I found stories in which detectives still talk about the red bike, meaning they haven't entirely given up on the notion that her killer was on two wheels. But 41 years later, we simply don't know. Most of my research in this story comes from a website called The Long Walk Home. It's an extraordinary project done by Upper Arlington High School alumni who wanted a lasting memorial to Sini Ducat. Our story tonight is a fraction of what they have found out, and they lay out everything, including documents, photos, maps, and more, as well as an extremely in-depth look at the two primary suspects. If you want to learn more about this case, go give it a look. It's at longwalkhomeua.com. That's it for our 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here next week for our full-sized episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. Liberty sees me, it stands by me, and celebrates me for who I am. When I come into the office, I feel that I belong here. I don't have to be Corporate America Gabby. I can just bring Gabby to work. Reach your potential and find a job you love at Liberty Mutual. We offer development training, rich benefits, and a culture that lets you bring your whole self to work so you can pursue your tomorrow today. Ready to consider a career at Liberty Mutual? Find out how at libertymutualcareers.com.